Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. And I'm Matt Rexine. Uh, this episode can be considered two episodes since we did not record last week, so we are allowed to do for about an hour. Let's get started. Stay golden. Hurricane. Right. So, um, honestly, Matt, I don't really want to do much uh, like basketball recap slash preview stuff today. There's a lot of other interesting stuff to talk about, especially since we didn't have an episode last week. And also, especially because the team has been uh, lacking, I think, in, in excitement, at least. I mean, I know we won last week, which is great. Stop the three game losing streak there. So don't want to take away from that. But there are lots of things to talk about, including Frank Haith and lot, uh, you know, a couple of big football updates as well. So definitely want to get into that. Obviously, still down to do a bit of a recap and preview for this week, but um, more excited to talk about uh, Frank Haith specifically. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think I'm in the same boat. And like a lot of that stuff happened, uh, which I even think if we had recorded last week, we would have missed a lot of the juicy details. Um, mm-hmm. Because it would have just been a really depressing episode about Tulane, and it's a lot more <laughs> exciting. Because um, I don't know, I always talk about we always play terribly against Tulane at first, and I even mentioned that in our you know preview for that week, uh, just about you know Mon- or Montgomery, uh, Haith struggles against Tulane early in games, and this time it just we didn't rebound uh, like we normally have stronger second halves, and you didn't really see that against Tulane this time, um, and so. To have everything that happened before the Temple game, I feel like there's just so much more to kind of like break into. Like the Temple game, yeah, breaks the slide. But, I mean, you're beating a Temple team that we got blown out to earlier. Uh, So it's like kind of what you expect. And I don't really think it does enough to change kind of what my vibe with the team is right now. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. Definitely, uh, you know, you're right. Like the the mood amongst fans after that two lane loss was certainly at a low for the season. I think you can't lose to two lane at home. The the bottom team in the conference are one of the two bottom teams and not have that feeling. Right. So that, that makes it pretty tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do want to give the team justice here. We did beat two lane at home, 72 to 66. Um, did I say two lane again? Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, Temple at home, 72 to 66 uh, last week. Feels like a year ago. I don't know how that was. So just on Tuesday, that is that is crazy to me, um, but did get that win. And there are, you know, there were some interesting things that came out of that game. Primarily, Keyshawn Williams started the game over Curtis Haywood. Curtis Haywood saw the bench. Uh, Keyshawn Williams got the start. Apparently, he had talked to Frank Haith about not getting enough time and wanted to prove himself out there with some more minutes. Um So he started, right? Played 16 minutes in the game and unfortunately didn't go very well, right? He he went, (laughs) yeah, he went over four from the field, pretty much didn't impact the game much at all. Uh, didn't show up much on the stat sheet. I mean, he's a talented kid. You can tell he's quick. Uh, he's shifty out there, but man, for this to be your first start after you go to the coach and ask for the time and are, you know, you're trying to get out there and show everybody what you can do. 
Uh, it didn't go very well. He forced a couple shots that that really didn't need to be put up there. Uh, it sucks, man. I was really, you know, I was excited when he started because it's fun. You know, he's a freshman. Um, seems like he's got a lot of talent. I wanted him to get out there and light the world on fire, you know, but um, just didn't do it. <laughs> it's, it's a rough game for him. Uh, so, yeah, I would expect, like you said, it pro- probably his last start, uh, at least for this year. Um, but who knows? You know, maybe maybe they'll give him another shot. Uh, the team hadn't been doing well anyways, and we did win, right? So something changed when he's done. I'm not saying it's because of him, but it's not like everything went to hell when uh, when he started over over uh, Curtis Haywood. So I don't know. Did you did you see that coming at all? Did you are you do you think he'll get another start or what are your thoughts uh, on him? I mean, to go and argue for more playing time to prove yourself, and then to drop like a 34 offensive rating, which was like second only to JP Mormons uh, from Temple, <laughs> and like the worst offensive rating of the game. Like mm-hmm. everybody who came off the bench did really well like darian jackson as usual Mm -hmm. really strong curtis haywood really like only had five points but he had a bunch of rebounds and a lot of assists so like our bench kind of like not kind of definitely outplayed uh Mm -hmm. williams and so i wouldn't be surprised i mean maybe haith gives him another start just to see um you know maybe there's something about first start kind of jitters but i don't really see him I would imagine he's going to get back on the bench. Yeah, but I mean, are you bringing Curtis Haywood back into the line? It's not like there's somebody on the bench that's going to light the set the world on fire anymore, you know. And that's that's Keyshawn Williams, probably his worst game of the year, unfortunately, at, at a bad time. And maybe not. It, it's got to be up there though. And I mean, Dar- just like start Darian Jackson, dude. Yes, like obviously that would be the number one. But at this point, you got to think it's never going to happen. He would be starting. He would be starting. There's like I. I he would. There, there's no reason he's not in the starting lineup. It must be a thing like Igbanu had with Haith, where he's just more comfortable off the bench, and Haith knows that, and Darian wants to come off the bench, right? That's the only thing that makes any sense. Well, yeah, and I've, if we're going to just cycle through some of the young guys to get them some more uh, experience, like let's throw Josh Early out, like over, let him prove that he can get more minutes kind of thing. Yeah, and he's one, he's another one. He got he got more minutes than Ray Doe last game. You know, we're three quarters of the way through the season, more than that, through the regular season, and Josh Early got ten minutes to Ray Doe, who's nine. How no I did not see that coming, right? I mean I I'm a Josh Early fan, don't get me wrong, but like at this point I thought he was kind of dead in the water. And we had seen him a little bit earlier in, in some other games, but I mean he got serious minutes in that first half. And I don't really know what the rhyme or reason is for that. Like to kind of tie this in with Ray Dowu, um, Ray, nine minutes this last game. Uh, not sure what's going on with it, right? Here's his month of February against SMU, uh, early February, played 33 minutes. The next game against UCF, plays nine minutes. Next game, Tulane, 22 minutes. Now this past game against Temple, another nine-minute game. And, you know, I thought for a while that – he was, you know, the first nine minute game against UCF, I was like, okay, maybe he was hurt or something. And I think he maybe did get into foul trouble um, against UCF. And that's, that's what happened against Temple as well. I don't remember if that's what it was against UCF. Um, but still nine minutes total. It's like, it's like, hey, it's like he gets into trouble early. Haith takes him out and then forgets about him on the bench and, you know, forgets to put him back in there to get the, get the final foul in there or something. Um, I don't know. Maybe he was just liking the rhythm with Josh early in there. I mean, Josh, played fine he didn't do anything extraordinary um one rebound uh, it was an offensive rebound which is nice uh two for three from the field 
But early played more minutes than than Ray Dewey, which I never would have thought I would be saying out loud uh, this at this point in the year. I mean, maybe Adewu is another guy who will benefit or like plays better off the bench. Because, I mean, since he started, you know, his first start was against East Carolina back at the end of January. Uh, and you can kind of just look like there's a pretty big drop off in his production once he's like a starter after that first game. Like SMU, he had three points. UCF, he had two points. Tulane, seven. And then only two here against Temple. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of just had a weird drop off. And I don't know if it's maybe he's another guy more comfortable off the bench. And like, maybe we should go back to that and start Ugbo. Um, but uh, it's kind of frustrating just because we were fighting for him to uh, should be should be <laughs> starting. And then it's just kind of like, uh, he's, start, he's obviously, I mean, struggling as a starter. Like he wasn't like he was so strong off the bench. So maybe we just mm-hmm. need to go back to that. Dude. I think there's a, a concerning trend in this in this stretch of things happening here, right? So Martin Zigbanu clearly improved a ton last year coming off the bench. Now we have a similar thing happening with Ray Dowu. Darian Jackson has been like that his whole career, basically. What is going on here? Like why what's the what's the issue with Frank Haith and starting people and they do poorly? Is that you know, my first thought is like, you know, is it a weird dynamic with you have to earn, you know, you have to keep that starting spot. And there's a ton of pressure on you when you're in the starting lineup because Hayes just going to pull you and, you know, swap you for somebody else. And that's a battle that, you know, I, I think a lot of athletes are familiar with. I don't think that's very uncommon in basketball, but is it to a different level on under Haith or something where these guys start? Um, and if they're not the established senior like Joyner or Rochelle or somebody like that, um, they're nervous. They, they're nervous out there. They're second guessing what they're doing. Um, you know that that and that could be what happened with Kishon Williams, right? He's a fine player. He finally gets into the starting lineup, and you got to think, you know, a freshman kid starting. Uh, Curtis A was probably not too happy about that. Maybe he is. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for Curtis, but uh, loses loses the starting spot, um, and all of a sudden there's a ton of pressure on Kishon Williams, and he goes out there and goes over four, right? So I, you know, maybe that's all overblown, uh, but I think it's just weird that we've got this trend of guys who seem to be better off the bench instead of clearly when they're, you know, overall our best players are uh, are not performing as well when they start, um, you know, aside from Brandon Rochelle and Joyner, who are pretty much good all the time. Yeah, maybe it's just the, uh, the pep talk they get on the bench from, uh, you know, some of our bench coaches. That's the, uh, the inspiration that they need. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they got some good ones down there. Shea Sales, Kwanzaa Johnson. We'll talk about them uh, when we talk about Haith here in a bit. So, yeah, I don't know. Weird stuff. I mean, but I'll take the win. Absolutely, right? Got to put an end to the three-game losing streak. Three-game home losing streak, I should emphasize. That is rough. So, got the win there. Um, brings us to, what are we now? 10-9 and nine overall. 7-7, seven and seven, even in the conference again after having a losing record there last week, which also is sad to look at but seven and seven again you know at least we're not losing record in conference anymore um 111 ken palm 113 in the net those are huge drops by the way from our last episode two weeks ago we were number 92 in ken palm two weeks ago that's a 20 spot drop in two weeks that is terrible and similar similar drop in uh in the net we were 103 um two weeks ago and now we are 113 so 10 spot drop scary uh free falling for sure but that is uh it's just how it's been. It's been rough sledding for the Tulsa basketball team. Uh, so we only had one game last week, so we only have one game to look at for player of the week. Um, do you want to start with yours? 
Uh, sure. It is Mr. You know, Mr. Primetime of basketball. And, you know, you watch this <laughs> yeah. game on uh, Tulsa vs. Temple. Huge prime primetime implications. Uh, it's Elijah Joyner. He yeah. had 34 minutes of this game. He had 17 points. Almost perfect uh, from the line, which is great. Because, what, we win by six. And 18 of those points are free throws that we needed. So he was clutch mm-hmm. there, um, which is kind of what you expect. Like, this is a game where i mean we had that we were just absolutely collapsing in the conference and like we were talking not too long ago i feel like about potential for making the tournament still uh and that was i mean that's that's evaporated at this point without (laughs) some fluke uh tournament win Mm -hmm. but elijah joiner just kind of like put his best game forward to make sure that we got back on the right side and so i mean for me it was pretty easy to give it to him yeah, I gave it to him as well. And it's all about senior leadership again. The guy continues to prove that he's out there for a reason as a senior. He is the vocal leader of the team. He's an emotional leader of the team. He does a great job all the time, hardly ever makes a stupid mistake. Um, that, you know, something I noticed during the game, I tweeted it out as well. We were up 15, uh, you know, fairly late in the game. And, you know, I, probably five or six minutes left overall, maybe maybe 10 at most, I don't remember. Um, up 15 and we totally lost focus out there, right? The team started putting up crap shots. The bench was just laughing like, you know, not to, I, I, I like bench energy. I don't want to say that that's a bad thing, but the bench was basically encouraging guys who usually don't shoot these shots to shoot them. The guys would shoot them and laugh it off when they missed, um, totally lost focus out there. Right. And temple, not a great team, probably, probably the worst team in the conference, honestly. Uh, but still, I mean, you can't do that against these guys. I mean, we're nothing special, right? We're, we shouldn't be out there just throwing crap up. Houston lost to East Carolina. It's not like nobody, everybody in this team can beat everybody. So we can't – that is that is a kind of damning on the coaching staff allowing that to happen uh, and just the guys in general, the mindset on the team. Totally lost it. But going back to player of the game here, player of the week, uh, Joiner pretty much saved it, right? The, the senior leader trying to take back over. Him and Darian Jackson both played fantastic ball down the stretch there. Um, and specifically, Joiner, that step back, you know, dirty step back three uh, with like a minute left or something. To, and Temple had come all the way back within five uh, with a minute left or something, uh, 50, 50 something seconds. And Joiner hit that step back with a minute left and, you know, went back up by eight. Felt like kind of a dagger there at the end. That was huge. And so, Good on him. Stop the bleeding. Get people back on track. Um, that's what you need your seniors for. They're there to keep the team on track and lead how to lead how you need them to lead. So definitely deserving of player of the week this week. Okay, so let's move on to the meat of what I want to talk about this week. And that is Frank Haith. <laughs> Always a fun topic. Um, not as fun. Uh, you know, it's not as fun, but it's also more fun. Right, it's not as fun because whenever we are talking about him like this, the team is usually doing poorly. Uh, but it's more fun because it's fun to talk about not having him as our head coach, in my opinion. So, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, little bit of a uh, um, a breakdown of how we got here. Right, so contra- his contract, where it's at right now, he was given a two-year extension in 2019. That contract, when we extended him, still had a year left on it, so it would have it would have expired in 2020. Uh, that two-year extension means that his current contract now ends in 2022, which obviously is next year. So the big implications there are like for recruiting, you basically, you, you don't want to have a coach on staff who 
there's only a year left in his contract and nobody knows what the status is, right? And so the idea is we need to make a move on him this year to put all those worries to bed, uh, to settle the sea, and to basically make sure we know what our coaching staff scenario is going to be uh, for these recruits that are going to be coming in soon. So that means we need to make a move this year. Um, and so the juice that came out, like, you know, I think it was probably Monday or Tuesday of last week. Um, maybe it was even Sunday. I don't remember. But anyways, uh, Rick Dixon, right, interim athletic director, uh, had the interim tag there removed from his title. So currently he is the full-time permanent athletic director uh, at the moment. Like he said originally, uh, and I think, you know, people freaked out when this first happened, but he made it very clear once again, this is not a long-term move for him. Uh, the reason they are taking that interim tag away uh, is when he is not the interim, uh, he has the power to be involved in personnel decisions. So he's able to make the call on both our football and men's basketball coaches whose contracts are both up within this year or within the next year, basically. Hey, this is up in 2022, early 2022. And Philip Montgomery is also up in January. So all of a sudden we've got an interim athletic director who's not the interim anymore, who's going to be making these calls, which sounds to me like a recipe for disaster, kind of. You know, I don't, I would much rather have an actual president of the university being there along with an actual athletic director who we all like, or, you know, who was at least the guy who everybody wants kind of, um, now we have an interim guy not to take anything away, away from Rick. You know, he was here before, did a good job here. Um, but who knows, you know, having him make a hire is concerning to me. So anyways, like you, we know he's going to be acting right. The Tulsa world reported that Rick Dixon said, quote, the situations with both coaches are expected to be resolved by July of this year, July, 2020. So, or 2021, which is in four months. So that is like, that's wild. You know, <laughs> we're going to have some serious movement happening very soon, uh, under Rick. Um, before we move into coaches that we would like to talk about or whatever, Matt, like what, what's your perspective on this whole scenario here with Rick being the interim slash non-interim now and, and looking at coaching staff changes? Um, so I guess the first is I'm happy that they're, it, well, I don't know, I guess both happy and not happy that they're actually going to like make steps to resolve these contracts because that was kind of the fear is that it was just going to sit uh, mm -hmm. because no one, we, you know, we have that interim president and we had up to last week an interim athletic director. And so I am, I don't know, happy in one sense that they're at least going to make a decision um, you know, sooner rather than later on that and not have to wait for the full process to, uh, in, order, in order to make those decisions. On the other side, this it's just kind of scary because you think if he's short-term, um, like the easiest path forward is just to extend, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be both Montgomery and Haith. And so that's kind of where I'm concerned the university might push, especially being in the situation where like both these coaches have in the past agreed to take pay cuts in order to stay on. Like the path of least resistance is just to keep going yeah. as we do. That being said, um, I think the fact that they're willing to make this change means that there is potentially some uh, feedback or push from inside the university, whether that be, you know, the board or something like that, that they want to make. Like they're signaling that this is a change they want to make on the athletic department. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, kind of weird. It coincides kind of exactly with the fall 
of basketball. Like we were looking good until <laughs> I know it was like right after the. I think it got announced right after, like two days, maybe the day after the Tulane loss. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, if they weren't trying to time it, like you know, to to raise concerns, they did a terrible job, right? Because this is yeah. <laughs> everybody's gonna think what we're thinking now. Like they're doing this so that Rick Dixon can get a new head coach for basketball. Yeah, and I think. Um... I don't know, just our interview conversation that we had um, with JP over and back when we were doing the Tulane preview for football, just kind of what he talked about Rick Dixon as their athletic director. One of the weakest points that he seemed to have was his hires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so you think like if they're making decision by July, like the hiring process has got to be done pretty quick if they end up moving on. Uh, I don't see so what I'm my anticipation. I don't think anything is going to change with Haith. I think he's going to get extended, um, especially coming off this last season. Um, I think the university is willing to, you know, you make an appearance in the championship game and like you're not. That would be kind of a weird time to move on from Montgomery. Haith, though, I, you know, like I said, I could see there being change there, but then I'm concerned about the uh, who how they would go about the hiring process since that would have to be like July is kind of a quick turnaround. Like the season starts in October, um, but you're like recruiting and practicing all through that time. So scared, <laughs> yeah. scared. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think there's any way Montgomery gets let go now. I mean, he just had the best season he's had here, basically second best. And, you know, I, I think he did an awesome job. So I, my, my assumption is he is hundred percent staying on Haith. On the other hand, who knows? My concern there is like, why what coach it's going to be so much tougher to hire somebody who when we have an interim ad like what what coach is going to want to come in and know that their boss is going to be a different person in like four months you know i think when when rick dixon took over as the interim he said he was planning on being here nine to twelve months right and that was september of last year so we're coming up on that like very soon um so what head coaches especially you know i i think maybe a younger up-and-comer kind of style guy maybe won't care as much just because they're trying to move up, you know, to a bigger, you know, you know, quote unquote, bigger school and a bigger conference or whatever. Um, and maybe goes that route. Uh, and they're like, I don't care who the boss is. I'm just going to work my ass off. But like, if we want to go for the kind of Frank Haith style hire, you know, somebody who's in a bigger conference or a similar style conference as us, more of a, more of a, uh, adjacent move. Those kind of guys, I think, rely more on the athletic director. And, you know, if that's the route we were trying to go, I don't know if it's going to be very easy at all to get a coach like that. So, you know, I'd rather have the young up-and-comer myself for the most part, I think. Um, But there are people who certainly prefer the established names. I think the young up-and-comer has been, like, where Tulsa's had the most success in the past. For sure. So I think it's – I don't know. It's also nice just to – like from a fan perspective, like, you know, Tulsa's, we're not a blue blood. We're not a team that's going to consistently be uh, an NCAA tournament bid. And so to be able to just kind of get new faces in and a new style is kind of exciting. Like mm-hmm. to bring in somebody who's got a different coaching philosophy, like you might see different styles of play. Like that can just kind of bring some excitement to a program that's not going to have uh, like constant, like incredible success. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so let's talk about some of those guys. Um, seems like, so we, we did a little Twitter poll last week with some names uh, that we threw out there. And 
they kind of broke out into, I would I would say, two separate groups, right? The young up-and-comer group, which we kind of talked about already, and then the alumni assistance group, which consists of Shea Seals and Kwanzaa Johnson. So the names that we put into the poll were Wes Miller, who is UNC Greensboro's head coach, um, Kim English, Tennessee assistant, also former Tulsa assistant, Shea Seals, uh, everybody knows Shea Seals, and everybody knows the other one, also Kwanzaa Johnson, both current Tulsa assistants. So let's talk about them a little bit, starting with Wes. Um, like I said, Wes Miller, UNCG head coach, uh, got 9% of the Twitter poll vote. By the way, I'll spoil the winner here. Um, Shea Seals won the Twitter poll at 31%. It was not uh, by a wide margin. Kim English had 30% of the vote, so barely lost out to Shea Seals. Kwanzaa was not an option in our Twitter poll. There was an other option. The other option got 30%. Kwanzaa was mentioned in the comments a couple times. So I assume his his name probably would have gotten some traction in the poll as well. Um, Wes Miller, 9% in the poll. So he came in last, actually. Uh, definitely a young up-and-comer style, right? Played basketball in James Madison for one season. Walked on to North Carolina after transferring there. He just straight up left James Madison did not have an offer to play at UNC, wanted to play there so bad, he just bailed, just dipped on James Madison, tried his best to walk onto UNC, and did. Ended up winning a championship with the Tar Heels, started for 16 or 18 games or something in his career. Uh, awesome story there. He has a book out about it. Uh, I was just reading about it earlier. It's kind of Road to the Road to Blue Heaven or something like that. Anyways, um, also played pro for a year in London. Um, his coaching story uh, obviously current head coach of UNC Greensboro got his start though as an assistant at Elon, which surprise, surprise also where Haith got his start. His first assistant job was also at Elon university. Uh, that's where Wes Miller's was as well. Um, he's also coached at high point. Uh, he was there for one season and then he moved to UNCG as an assistant under current previous head coach, Mike Dement or Dement. I don't know how you say that. Uh, and then, you know, over time, uh, Demont resigned. Wes Miller became interim head coach, took them from two and eight to a winning record in the Southern Conference and won coach of the year that year as the interim, which sounds very uh, kind of similar to what Isaac Brown's doing in Wichita State right now, which is pretty wild. Um, and then he was awarded the full-time head coaching job, which it sounds like Isaac Brown is also going to be awarded. So that's Wes. Uh, interesting name. North Carolina ties, tons of energy, young guy, clearly very good at his job. Um, Definitely one to keep an eye on. The other kind of young up-and-comer style, uh, but definitely has ties to Tulsa, Kim English, right? Current Tennessee assistant, um, played for Mizzou in college. Uh, when I was like in my peak of watching Mizzou basketball, he was there. So I, I know his basketball game really well. Uh, Big 12 tournaments, most outstanding player as a senior. Um, that senior class was one of my favorite basketball teams to watch. Uh, guys on the team, Marcus Denman, Steve Moore. I still have Marcus Denman's um, autograph on a pair of basketball shoes I have. Uh, that class was awesome. Uh, winning a senior class in Mizzou basketball history. Played pro for three years um, in the NBA and uh, overseas and in the summer league all over the place. Uh, his first coaching job was here in Tulsa. Haith hired him in 2015. You probably remember that he was on the team then. Um, left for Colorado in 2017 under Tad Boyle. And then two years later, uh, 2019, he left for Tennessee. So he's under Rick Barnes and that's where he is right now at the Tennessee job. So has some familiarity with Tulsa, was here for a couple of years. Um, I like him just because he went to Mizzou, and I think he does a good job at Tennessee. He's a hot name in coaching circles anyways. Uh, I certainly would be stoked if he ended up being 
involved with Tulsa in some way, whether that be as a head coach or again, as uh, kind of an associate head coach or an assistant coach or something like that. So um, I'm a huge fan of Kim English, but uh, there are other big names in here as well. And th- that takes us to kind of the alumni assistance group, uh, I would call them. So first among them, and the one we had in our Twitter poll, who won the poll, Shea Seals. Everybody knows Shea Seals. Uh, his number is retired at TU, number 21. Um, he he still is Tulsa basketball's all-time leading scorer. He was, I think, a third-team All-American in 1997. Uh, played a season for the Lakers um, towards ACL after his rookie year, which kind of derailed his pro career. He did then play six years overseas in Europe and Asia, though, um, and he was on two of Tulsa's Sweet 16 teams, 94 and 95, in a stretch of like four straight NCAA tournaments, which is wild. Uh, legend around the city, right? Everybody involved with Tulsa basketball knows Shea Seals and know how big of a deal he is. Um, he was head coach uh, first for his high school alma mater, McLean High School, then coached Booker T for a while. Um, I think, yeah, his Booker T record overall is 120, 102 and 22, just fantastic. Uh, everybody loves Shea Seals. That is, you know, the, the reason why I think that a coaching change could happen is because we have this dude sitting on our staff. It's not a controversial hire for Rick Dixon to just move him to the head coach spot. I could totally see that happening. I think that's the most likely of this group. Um, the other similar one, and then Matt, I'll, I want your your thoughts on these names um, after this, but I just want to finish breaking this final one down. Uh, the other one that would be the safe, kind of a safe hire, I think, uh, the other Tulsa assistant currently on staff, Kwanzaa Johnson. Most people know him as well, right? Also played at TU. Same time, he was on the same Sweet 16 Tulsa teams as Shea Seals in 94 and 95. Uh, He played at TU from 1993 to 95. He was a JUCO before that. Um, Coaching-wise, he's been all over the place. He's had assistant coaching jobs at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. San Luis, probably. Obispo, Little Rock, uh, Tulsa first. Not the current Tulsa staff, but uh, back in early 2000s, he was on Tulsa. Uh, Eastern Illinois, Nevada, Georgia, and TCU. And right before he came to Tulsa, he was the associate head coach at Little Rock, and now he's back here, right? So he's been all over the place um, and a very well-known name around the university as well. So those are kind of the biggest names, at least in my opinion, when you're thinking about who could take over. You know, like I mentioned, Matt, uh, I think the safest plays for Rick Dixon, if he were to make a change, would be Shea Seals or Kwanzaa Johnson. And personally, I would rather have Shea Seals. Um, but you know, who knows, maybe he pulls the trigger, pulls the trigger and goes with one of these younger guys, Wes Miller, Kim English, or somebody else. What are your thoughts on those names themselves? What do you think Rick Dixon might do all that? So my thought, uh, initially I'm going to narrow it down from the four to the two, uh, just based on what I think is probably more, most likely, or, uh, kind of from his decision. And so I feel like if you're looking at the assistance, I would give the edge um, pretty confidently to Shea Seals uh, just because like he has been around at TU for a long time. He is involved uh, with recruiting and all that. And so he has a much better, I think, feel um, for the program. And uh, just like I would say people around Tulsa, people around, you know, the recruiting sphere mm-hmm. of, you know, the school. Uh, and so like Kwanzaa Johnson, you know, TU grad has been an assistant, but has only been around, uh, like he got hired back in 2019 after a stint from 2001 to 2005. So I just, I would give the edge to seals, uh, for this. Um, and then for the other two, 
I feel like TU is more likely to consider somebody that has head coaching experience as opposed to just an, an assistant coach. And I mean, obviously, um, I'll say caveat, like for a younger person, a younger candidate, not like a long time assistant that's been at TU. Yeah. Um, and so I would give the edge there to, um, you know, Wes Miller from UNC Greensboro, especially the success that he's had. And I mean, you had a couple years ago where uh, it was looking like you, like UNC Greensboro was a team that could potentially get an at-large bid Yeah, right. Uh, as a, you know, small conference, which is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I think I would get like more seriously think he's considered uh, than Kim English as much as, you know, I'm also a Mizzou fan, uh, definitely not nearly uh as diehard as you were back in the day um so as much as i like him english i would definitely give it to somebody like him um whereas it's kind of a stepping stone the concern or the my thought is i mean he's been at unc greensboro for a long time yeah like started in 2011 uh 2012 season as you were talking about and so like you've got to think he's had other opportunities to move on with the amount of success he's had to other programs. And so is the Tulsa um, kind of like opportunity one that he would actually be interested in jumping on? Um, like we were talking about potentially having a, a new athletic director, maybe two, three years down the road. And so it would have to start a new relationship. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So on that side, I wonder if somebody like him would be harder to get on board versus Kim English. But I feel like they would look for somebody with a little bit more of that experience if they go that side. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I think Shea Seals is kind of in the driver's seat if they make a change. Um, I think a lot of the fans would appreciate and approve of that move. Uh, and I also think that it would be... Like I'm excited for him to get an opportunity to kind of like prove what he can do, Mm -hmm. uh, prove how well he can coach. He's been around, you know, for a lot for like Tulsa's success. Like he's been around when Frank Haith has had success. He's been around when we've struggled. Like he knows a lot of the ins and outs uh, of the program, and so I think he's uh, would be who I'd push for. Yeah, on that side. Yep, I agree. I agree on the on the seals side, and yeah, the West Miller point is interesting. Uh, yeah, that you know, take a guy with head coaching experience over an assistant. I, I agree. I think West Miller would be a harder pull. That's a good point. Um, having been there for so long, you got to think he's got his eyes on the ACC or somebody around North Carolina, right? I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I don't. But aside from the basic stats that I looked up, um, don't know what his ties. You know how strongly tied he is to the. ACC, if he's just waiting for an opening there, opening at North Carolina or something where he can jump up, if they would even hire him, who knows, right? But it feels like a feels like a, har- a harder pull than Kim English, who has already been on the staff for some period of time and knows a little bit about the program also. So interesting stuff. I do think Shea Seals, you're right, is, is in the driver's seat at number one. Um, but good names outside of him as well, for sure. Okay, um, let's do a quick, uh, quick preview on this week's games. I uh, don't want to spend ton of time on them. I know we're already probably going a little bit over. Um, so we won't, we won't blaze or we won't, we will blaze through these. Not going to spend a uh, prolonged time on either of these, but two games this week, home, both home games. Again, it's like our sixth home game in a row. It's crazy. So home game versus Cincinnati on Wednesday, the 24th, 
That's at 8 p.m. on ESPNU. Cincinnati is now number 96 in Ken Palm, number 117 in the net. They are 7-8 and eight overall, 5-5 five and five in the American after uh, they played today. They are right behind us in the conference standings. They, I don't know if you saw this, Matt. The game just ended like two hours ago. They played Houston today. They, they lost. It was in Houston, to be fair, but not excusable here. 90-52 to 52 on the road to Houston. That is wild. I mean, Cincinnati, you know, before this loss, they were on a quote-unquote a hot streak, right? I mean, they had won four straight. They were over some bad teams. Temple twice, Tulane, uh, UCF, who's decent. But, I mean, four, <laughs> it's not like they're losing all these games. Four straight wins, and then they lose by whatever that is, 38 to to Houston. I mean, oh boy, that is, oh geez. I mean, I know Houston was just coming off a loss. Yeah. The um, most dangerous time to play Houston is <laughs> immediately after they lose a game when they're yeah. ranked fifth. Which, oh my gosh, man. whatever. Yeah. Jeez. I couldn't believe that score. Oh God. It sucks. The Cincinnati's whole like Twitter sphere online is just calling for John Brandon's head. I think it's only his second year. I'm pretty sure they're right. I mean, it's geez. I mean, I get it. Like they, they look bad this year, but Oh boy, thirty-eight point loss. That is that is brutal. So <laughs> that just happened. Um, I mean, they're they're a fine team. You know, they're right outside top one hundred in Ken Palm. Or no, they're still top one hundred. Number number ninety-six Ken Palm. Like I said, um, one hundred seventeen in the net though. They have good talent. It seems like you know Keith Williams has been on that team forever. Um, he's their best player for sure. Kind of was unperforming early in the year. Seems like he's getting back on track. I think their biggest underperformer. Um, in my opinion, is their big center, Chris Vogt. Uh, that guy just doesn't not look like a basketball player to me. Um, he just has not been getting it done recently either. So I'd probably count him among the the most disappointing players for them. But, man, this whole season has been kind of just, just bad <laughs> for the Bearcats. So, you know, they're never an easy win uh, for us, at least. I mean, apparently they are for Houston this year, but – I'd be surprised if we won by anywhere close to that number. I assume it'll be much closer. Uh, I do think we'll win this game. Um, Cincinnati just looks kind of rough. But, uh, man, did not expect that just shellacking at the hands of Houston. And then next up, we've got another home game on Saturday the 27th. That's against East Carolina. ECU is the last place team in the American Conference. So, they come to town, come to Tulsa, 6 p.m., ESPN Plus, February 27th. Uh, they're in number 137 in Ken Palm, 148 in the net. Uh, they are not the worst uh, of either of those rankings, although they are the worst in the conference standings. Uh, Temple is the worst net team at 163, and Tulane is the worst Ken Palm team at 141 in the American. Uh, but ECU, very close to both of those, probably second to last in both. Um, Pirates are 8-8 eight and eight overall, 2-8 and eight in the conference. They have lost seven of their last eight games. The lone win in this eight-game stretch where they've lost seven of them. Matt, do you know what it is? Oh, it's probably the team that just blew out the first team <laughs> they were playing. Yeah. They, I, how? Like, they've lost seven of eight, and their their one win is against number five, what was number five, Houston? I mean, that is so funny. I, oh, my God. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but, yeah. I kind of forgot that that happened. And, yeah, that's their one win in those last eight games. Crazy. Um, East Carolina always kind of gets that. Like, they were the team. They knocked off Cincinnati uh, last year at one point. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, right. On, like, insane shooting. So I feel like they always <laughs> kind of, like, just pull the horseshoe out for a game. 
Yeah, dude. I don't remember like that Houston game. It was it was all Jaden Gardner and like Tremont Robinson White hit like four five threes or something out of nowhere late in the game. I God, it was wild. But yeah, you're right. They always pull one out. It seems like and Houston was at the hand at their hands uh, that time. But they uh, they did not really carry that momentum uh, much further. They are not looking very good. Um, their best player, obviously, talking about him every time we talk about East Carolina. You can't not talk about him. Uh, Jaden Gardner. He's a stud. Surprise, surprise. He is everything to them, uh, leads them in scoring and rebounding. She's 48% from the field, is just a dog uh, on both both sides of the ball. Really, really hard worker, like junkyard dog style guy. Uh, really like watching him play. So always fun playing ECU just to watch him. Um, definitely one of the better players in the conference. Okay, uh, so a quick look around the conference and then got some cool notes to end on uh, before we wrap it up. So um, there were some good games in the conference this week. There was one specifically Oh, just amazing game, and I will get to that one. So first, Sunday, the 14th of February, Cincinnati beat UCF by one. Tulane beat South Florida by three uh, in Tampa. Uh, Wednesday, we had war on I-4, um, UCF versus USF, and UCF took that one by quite a bit, 81 to 65 in Orlando. Uh, and then the one I mentioned just a second ago, the best, I think the best American Conference game that I've seen this year uh, it was so good on Thursday, the 18th. Wichita State played Houston in Wichita. Houston, number six, right? And Wichita beat them 68 to 63. It was it was so much fun to watch. I was so glad I sat down and watched this one. I'll tell you, man, like Wichita, kind of on the outside looking in uh, in terms of the NCAA tournament right now, which I'm not going to spend too much time ranting on that, but that makes no sense to me. They are so talented. I, I understand they only have, now they have two tier A wins. They have like three B tier wins. Um, they're first place in the American overall. I don't know how that doesn't get you in the tournament. Anyways, I don't want to, I'm going to get off track if I focus on that for too long. They have some ballers, right? I mean, Tyson Etienne and UConn transfer Alterique Gilbert. So dirty for them. They played so well, especially down the stretch in this game. First, Alterique Gilbert, incredibly shifty between defenders. We've watched him as Tulsa fans for several years now playing UConn. And we know how good he is. He's had a lot of seasons cut short because of injuries, though. And this is the first season I feel like he's played. Maybe he played all of last year for UConn. I can't remember. Um, but he is playing great for Wichita right now. And, man, he is like, he is an extra key for them. But the dude who made it all happen against Houston on Thursday was Tyson Etienne. And first, he just he played it out of his mind. He I don't remember how many points he had, but it was a lot. He was doing everything for them. It seemed like he was on a one-man mission to beat that team. Um, also though, he pulled off the single sickest move I've seen all year. It was, is so cool. Like he went up top of the key, caught a pass from a guy behind the back dribbled, going like driving to the basket. He goes behind his back sideways through two defenders, right? So like slices horizontally through two guys while going to the basket behind his back gets fouled, throws up a floater at the same time and makes it for the end one. It was it was so sweet. ESPN's been running it forever. Um, I lost my mind when that happened. It was it was amazing. That guy is no doubt a pro, and man, he's got to be in contention for play of the year in the conference this year. He's a baller. Um, so after I cooled down from that game, there were a couple other ones uh, over the weekend. UCF beat Tulane in New Orleans by three on Saturday, um, and then just today, Houston beat Cincy by 38, like we mentioned, uh, and South Florida beat Temple in Philadelphia by seven. And that wraps up uh, the look around the conference. If you didn't watch that uh, Wichita State-Houston game, you should find it somewhere, listeners, because 
it's worth a watch. I, like I saw it again today, and I thought about just rewatching the whole thing sometime this week. It was it was a blast the entire game. Okay, uh, some final notes before we close it out. First, Tulsa's football schedule was announced this week, so we got to talk about that. Um, some interesting stuff. Uh, we've got Oklahoma State and Ohio State, both road games, um, second and third game of the year. UC Davis is the home opener uh, to start things off. That's game one. Then we have Oklahoma State and Ohio State on the road. Um, a stretch of three home games straight after that. We've got Arkansas State, Houston, and Memphis all at home before a road game to South Florida. Then we've got a bye. Uh, then comes a home game versus Navy. Two road games in a row after that, Cincinnati and Tulane. Home game versus Temple. And we close the regular season out with a road game versus SMU. You know, so I look at that and I'm thinking, you know, how do I think we're going to be this year? Uh, we return so many players. <laughs> I think I saw the number was 38 or something. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It, it was a lot of guys um, that were returning for next season, obviously. Like the entire defense, minus David Collins, I think. And then Corey Taylor and Zach Smith, I think, are the only ones on offense not coming back. It is wild. So, um, you know, the stakes are high for Philip Montgomery because we have all this talent coming back and because of how we did last year. That's good. We want we want high stakes. We want the coach to have to live up to what he did last year. That's that's a good thing. Um, it's a tough schedule. Two road games against two top tier opponents, uh, non conference in Oklahoma State and Ohio State. Um, I put a little thing on Twitter saying what I thought the record was going to be, and I think this is attainable. Right? It's a little bit optimistic. Um, I have us at nine and three, six and two in the conference, and that includes a win at Oklahoma State, which is definitely the toughest <laughs> toughest one to see on here. Um, I didn't go I didn't go overboard and give us the win over Ohio State. Don't think that one's going to happen. I do think there we have a decent shot at beating Oklahoma State on the road. Had it so close last year. I think the guys have it in their sights uh, as something circled on the calendar. Should have had it last season. Can do it again this season with the talent we have coming back. Um, or not again, but can do it this season, this coming season with the guys we've got coming back. Uh, I am so psyched, so psyched for that game. Um, outside of that, the big wins um, are basically, you know, nine and three, pretty much everybody else. The losses, I should say, are on the road to Cincinnati and final game on the road to SMU. What did you think about the schedule, man? And what are your kind of overall thoughts? Uh, I mean, just based on everything you've talked about, like we have so many guys coming back. And I personally think our offense is going to be so much stronger next season. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on, you know, like the the half plus that we saw of Davis Brin um, <laughs> has got me just over the top excited where I, you know, very realistically only see Ohio State as a, as like a loss. Yeah. That is the only one where I'm like, I really don't see us having the firepower to win that game. Yep. I th- we could like I would not be surprised if we won every other game. <laughs> like the yeah. at Cin- at Cincinnati at SMU are tough, mm-hmm. but I mean we we our game against Cincy was so close, and I mean SMU is going to be interesting because they've got so many transfers coming in, but like I I just I don't know I'm over the top optimistic because <laughs> of how surprising the season was last year mm-hmm. that if we have an offense that isn't just so stagnant out of the gate like we could win go 11 and 1 8 no in the conference (laughs) yeah baby would not would not surprise me get that new year six bid that would be awesome i mean yeah like this is you know 
it's it's definitely an optimistic take, <laughs> but but I think I don't think it's that or far realistic. out of bounds, right? Yeah, like it's really not that bad. Um, clearly, we can play with Cincinnati. We lost to them at the last second last season. They are also returning a ton of players, so that'll be a serious battle. Um, I put SMU as a loss mostly because I just think we're going to drop another one. You know, assuming we do lose to Cincy, which is a big assumption, right? We can definitely win that game. Um, but I think we're going to, you know, just Philip Montgomery, I just don't see him getting through the American without two loss. It just, maybe he can't. I know he only lost one this last season, but we also didn't play, um, you know, Memphis. We played Cincinnati outside of the regular season. Uh, so I don't know. It's like, it's going to be tough. I could see, you know, you're right. All of these are definitely winnable games minus Ohio State, but I just don't see, you know, with some of the infuriating things that happen over Philip Montgomery's tenure, um, I feel like we're going to drop at least at least two conference games. Okay, um, some final things to touch on for wrap up. Uh, Zayvon Collins won the Lombardi Award as to his list of awards and recognition that he is racking up uh, this postseason. Um, the Lombardi Award is, quote, granted to the top FBS player based on performance, leadership, character, and resiliency. He was up there with a guy from Coastal Carolina. I think Mac Jones from Alabama was up there. I can't remember who the other ones were, uh, but several top names. Uh, so he won that one. Um, another box to check for him in terms of these NFL teams that are looking at him. Uh, he has everything, right? I mean, he is a, a once-in-a-generation player for TU. And he's absolutely going to be a first-round pick, it seems like, at this point. So very excited for him for the draft. It's all going to be very fun to watch. Um, in terms of recruiting news, we had Will Farniak uh, commit to TU. He's an offensive line transfer from your school now, Matt, Nebraska. His brother played um, – his brother Derek. Hashtag go Big Red. Go Big Red, baby. His brother played uh, at Oklahoma, uh, Derek Farniak. So that's a big get for us. Uh, people were super psyched about getting him on the offensive line. I've never watched him play. have no idea how good he actually is. But um, big school, you know, big name school that we're getting a guy from, that's always cool. So Will Farniak commits it to you. Uh, other recruiting piece of news there, Owen Ostrowski, who we mentioned a while back, um, committed to TU after decommitting from Army. Uh, you know, that was like a month or over a month ago now, I think. Um, but he was named uh, last week as the Oklahomans All-State Defensive Player of the Year. Damn, like that guy's coming to play for us and has the name of Strasky attached to him. That's big time, right? I am over the moon excited that that guy's going to be in the blue and gold next year. Okay, uh, final things, just some coaching moves that are super interesting. Um, first, that directly really, – actually, most of these are directly tied to Tulsa in some way, but a current, a current Tulsa coach, I should say, uh, running back coach, Justin Hill, leaving for the same job with the Bengals. And I put this on Twitter – uh, a little bit over a week ago, uh, just about how good of a coach Justin Hill has been for us. Um, he's been here, I think, I think the entire time that Montgomery's been here. I think he came along uh, with him when he got the job, was hired right away, um, and has obviously seen some just awesome rushers uh, while he's been on the team, right? I mean, uh, the, I, I did just a tiny bit of digging and found the leading rusher in yards each year um, under him. So, yeah, 2015 to 2020 season. D'Angelo Brewer twice, 2015 and 2017. 2016, James Flanders got in there, leading rusher. 2018 and 2019, Shamari Brooks. And then 2020, this past season, Corey Taylor was the leading rusher in terms of yards. Um, just huge names, right? He's done such a good job. Going to be a big loss uh, replacing him. So it will be interesting to see who fills that gap. Haven't seen the name or anything, any updates on that yet. So something to keep an eye on. Who's going to be the next Tulsa running back coach? 
And then everything else is kind of UCF slash Hawaii related. <laughs> uh, UCF hired Gus Malzahn. I think we talked about that in our last episode. I don't remember. Maybe that was, maybe we didn't, maybe that hadn't come out yet. But anyways, everyone probably knows by now. Uh, Gus Malzahn, head coach UCF, right? Comes from Auburn, had coached for Tulsa before, obviously. Uh, big time hire for them. Huge hire. I think that's an incredible job um, for him to take. That's a big time name. It's a big time program. That's seems like a match made in heaven for what happened at Auburn there. Uh, in terms of sticking with these TU-related coaching moves, uh, G.J. Kinney, who was previously, he, I think just last year, these these last these two guys I'm about to say, just last year they got hired on at Hawaii, uh, both of them. They both have left for different positions with different teams. So G.J. Kinney's first up, former TU quarterback. Uh, he was Hawaii's offensive coordinator. He has left to join UCF. He is now on UCF staff. Our former quarterback, it, it, you know, kind of kills me inside. Uh, but G.J. Kinney is there. He's going to be not offensive coordinator, uh, but some kind of offensive staff position, maybe quarterback's coach or something like that at UCF. So big move from G.J. Kinney. Uh, that's big time, right? He's moving up fast. Um, all of a sudden, he's at UCF under Gus Malzahn. Uh, the other Hawaii former TU-related person, Brennan Marion, right? He was wide receiver coach at Hawaii last year. Um, under Todd Graham, and then now he is—he uh, took a job with Pitt uh, to be their wide receiver coach as well. So, two former TU guys moving up in the coaching ranks. Um, definitely, guys, we've got our eyes on for potential—you know—staff or head coaches uh, for TU, right? So, something to watch for sure as those guys keep on rising. Uh, clearly, doing a great job every stop they make. So, something to something to watch for sure. Do you have anything you want to add? No, sir. All right. We will close it out there. Um, Thank you very much for listening. If you do like the show, make sure you subscribe to it in your podcast app so you get notifications whenever a new one comes out. Uh, Share it on Twitter. Tell a friend about it. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Um, If you want to support us, there are two ways to do that. You can go to thegoldenhurricast.com slash support to find those ways. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at goldenhurricast. Or you can send us an email, and that address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much again for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.